Where are you in your relationship with God? I want you to think about that question. Where are you in your relationship with God? That is the overarching question that Christian pollster and researcher George Barna set out to answer in 2011. And he thought he was just kind of doing another poll and research project like he had done many times before, but this ended up being a lot more ambitious than he had expected when he set out. And so over the course of six years and interviews, phone calls, conversations with over 15,000 Americans, he, he discerned through quantitative and qualitative analysis their answers to this question, and he charted them out on, on a graph in what he calls transformational stops. And he said when, when he looked at the faith lives of Americans that, that pretty much everybody found themselves at one of ten stops that he had kind of established through his research. And so I want to share those with you this morning. Uh, there's a graph here. Uh, sorry if it's a little small. But you'll see, starting on the left to the right, the first stop is being unaware of sin. And in Barna's research, he found that 1% of Americans kind of found themselves there. They didn't really know about the concept of sin, that sin is a, a broken relationship with God. It's missing the mark, not living how he desires us to live. He said 1% of people said, I, I have no idea what that is or, or the concept. And then moving on, he, he said 16%. Found themselves at stop two. They were aware of sin, but indifferent. They said, Yeah, I mean, okay, I understand the concept. I heard about it growing up. I don't really care. Doesn't seem to affect me or affect others. But then you'll notice that the biggest group was group number three people who were worried about sin. 39% of Americans said, Hey, I'm worried about sin. I'm concerned about its implications for my life. And my relationships with other people, maybe my relationship with God if I believed in Him, but like, that's kind of it. That's where they found themselves in this moment. Then there was stop number four, 9% of Americans who said, hey, you know, I, I feel like I've been forgiven for my sins. That I have, I have prayed and believed in Jesus and asked Him to forgive my sins, and, and that's kind of, that's where I am right now. And then moving to stop five, 24% said, I, I'm forgiven and I'm active in, in a church committed to faith activities, you know, studying the Bible, serving, doing that kind of stuff. And then if you move on uh, to, to stop six, 6% 6 of people said they were experiencing currently a holy discontent. And these are people who said, you know, I, I feel forgiven for my sin, I'm in church, but, but I feel like there's more. I, I've been going to church, but, but there's a desperation, there's a longing, there, there must be more to life, there must be more than going to potluck dinners on Wednesday night, but, but they weren't kind of sure what to do after that. And that was 6%. Seven, stop seven, 3% of people said they felt broken by God. They had been confronted with their own sinfulness, how they had fallen short, and, and, and they knew that, that God had more for them, and, and they were seeking after that. And then stop eight, 1% of people said, you know what, my life is, is surrendered to God and I'm living in submission to him. And then if you look at the last two, 0.5% of Americans said, you know, spiritually, I feel like I have a profound love for God. There's an intimacy with God that I'm experiencing. And 0.5% of people were at stop 10. Not only did they have a profound love for God, but that love for God had filtered through their lives and they were experiencing a profound love for other people as well. 
And so, so obviously, looking at, at this chart, it's not like where we are spiritually is a static thing, like we're, we're, we're just there for our lives. I mean, you could be one stop one day, one stop uh, another day. These are the stops that he kind of laid out after looking at his research. I'm sure we could add many more or change, change some of the stuff. But I thought it was kind of enlightening to look at this and look and see kind of where Americans are. And perhaps it's enlightening for you to take a moment and just say, okay, if I'm, if I'm at one of these 10 stops, where am I? Don't, don't try to type your neighbor or your spouse, you know. You can, you can think about yourself here. And what was enlightening for me is to just as a pastor step back from the data and look at the big picture and, and the trends. And for me, what was most enlightening was what I would call two major trends or, or challenges for the church that I see when I look at this data. And the first is that if you look at these first three stops, unaware of sin, indifferent to sin, worried about sin, 56% of Americans, this is in 2011, I don't know that things have gotten better, right? 56% of Americans said that's where they were spiritually. They, they knew about sin, they knew that they had fallen short, they had sinned against God, and other people, and yet they had never experienced God's forgiveness for their sins. And, and that should spur us on to our mission as a church of making disciples of Jesus Christ. That should burden our hearts. That there are people, these are our friends, these are our family members, these are our neighbors, these are people in our community who don't know the loving kindness and the forgiveness that God has offered to them through Jesus Christ. That should burden us. It should spur us on to our, our mission so that we could share that, that God loved them so much that he sent Jesus. And, and if you're here this morning and you feel like, okay, maybe you're at stops one through three, I would love to talk with you more about how to receive that gift of forgiveness into your life. And the, the, the freedom that God wants to give you. So that was one, one major trend and challenge that, that stuck out to me. But, but that's not the, the major one I want to focus on this morning. Instead, I want to look at another one, and that's steps four and five here. And it was a little uh, maybe surprising that the majority of Christians said, you know what, um, we're, we're kind of here. I mean, if you look at, at step four, people who are forgiven from their sin, 9%, but who say, you know what, that's it. I feel like I'm forgiven for my sin, but really, there, nothing else has changed in my life. I don't, go to, I don't go to church ever. This is just where I am. And then there was a group of people who said, yeah, I feel forgiven for my sin. I, I go to church regularly, and, and that's kind of it. And, and here's the thing. Th these are good things, being forgiven for your sin by Jesus and believing in him as your savior, getting active in a church. These are great things, but I would say these are a starting point. These are our starting point of faith. And what I see here is that so many people, and I know this in my own experience and looking at the data, are, are in church, they know Jesus as their savior, but, but, but they're missing out on what we might say is more. They're missing out on more. These two things could be called stops of justification about what God has done for us. But after we believe in what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, there's more that God wants to do in us and through us. 
In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said this. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they, you can put, put you in there, that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came that we might have life and life to the full. And life to the full happens when we continue in our spiritual journey and and God is working in us. This is what we call sanctification. This is the Holy Spirit's presence and power in our lives transforming us from the inside out, giving us a profound love for God and a profound love for other people. And so this challenge that, that, that we see in the church today in America uh, of people saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but it's, it's not necessarily making a radical difference in their life or we're just kind of stagnant in our faith. This, this challenge has been around a long time. And a lot of times we, we, we try to solve it by saying, okay, we're going to add a new program. We're going to invite you to come to church one more time during the week. We're going to give you a, a new book to read. We want you to, to serve other people. And, and, and hear me say, those are great things. And God works through those things. But so often what we've tried to do in the church is just add more stuff to people's lives to help them grow spiritually. But there's something else I think we often don't talk about. And we kind of skip over because it's, it's, it's challenging. That there's something else that I think is a key to spiritual growth and a key to spiritual vitality. And it's not about adding more stuff to our lives. It's about doing something else. It's something that the Apostle Paul did. It's something the Apostle Paul taught others to do. And I think it's something that, that we need to do once again this morning as we seek to grow spiritually and experience the abundant life that Jesus has for us. And so if you know anything about Paul, the Apostle Paul, you'll know that if you just think about the definition of life to the full and an abundant life, he is one who you could say did that. He lived life to the full. I mean, he was someone, he was, he was in prison in chains, and he was experiencing great peace from God. He, he is someone who people wanted him dead and destroyed, and in the midst of that persecution, he experienced great joy. He, he, he had a profound love for God. He experienced intimacy with God, and he had love for other people. When you read his letters in the New Testament, you find that he didn't, he didn't just tolerate other people. This wasn't just an idea for him. He loved and he liked other people. And you might also know that Paul wasn't always this way, right? Paul, at one point, was persecuting the church. He was putting Christians in prison. He was trying to destroy the followers of Jesus until one day he had a radical encounter with Jesus and God's grace. And he experienced transformation in his life. He believed in Jesus Christ as his Savior. He experienced forgiveness of his sins, but but that transformation didn't stop there. He began living with Jesus as the Lord of his life, and everything changed, and he wanted people to know about that change, and so he began spreading the good news. And one of the ways he spread the good news was through the letters he wrote that are called the epistles in the Bible. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, he says this as a greeting to people. And this is like how we know his, his identity had changed. I mean, this is a statement of how far he had come. He said, hi, I'm Paul, 
a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So before he was persecuting people, trying to destroy the church, now he says, I'm Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And as he writes his letter to the church in Rome, his letter to the Romans, he, he lays out for them the bad news. And he says, look, you are sinners. You have fallen short of the standard that God has for us. You, like me, we have broken relationship with God. And apart from him, we can't experience eternity with him. And so he says, look, the good news is, the good news is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Out of his loving kindness, he sent Jesus into this world to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for us, taking the punishment we deserved. And he rose again, victorious over sin and death and new life. And he says, look, all of that is a gift that you can experience. And so in his letter to the Romans, he continues and he says after he talks about what God has done for us, he says, okay, how do we respond to that? And he says, look, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He says, that's the good news. You can have forgiveness of your sins. You can have newness of life. You can have freedom over sin in this life here and now. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And a lot of times in the church and in America, when we're sharing our faith with people, we say, look, this is what you need to do. And so people pray a prayer for forgiveness. They say, I believe in Jesus. And then that, that's kind of it. That's where we stop. But what Paul encourages the Romans to do is to confess that Jesus is Lord, but not just confess that he is Lord, but also live like he is the Lord of our lives. He says, live like he is Lord. And in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, these are the main, main verses I'm going to focus on this morning. Listen to what he writes. After, after telling them all this good news, what God has done for them, and how they can respond, he says, Now I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. These are, these are verses, you know, like underline verses, highlight verses. So I want to read verse, verse 1 again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In the Old Testament, if you're, if you're familiar, you know that they used to offer sacrifices to God as acts of worship. Animals, they would offer for God's use, for God's satisfaction, for, for his glory. This is something they did over and over again. In the New Testament, in Hebrews, we find that Jesus Christ, because of his life and death resurrection, he has fulfilled the sacrificial system. He is a once and for all sacrifice made 
on behalf for our sins. And so we no longer have to offer sacrifices. But Paul knew this language and these ideas was, was in their minds. And so he uses this concept of, of sacrifices. And what he's saying is, he's saying, look, I want you to be a living sacrifice. He's saying Jesus died for you as an act of God's mercy. Now live for him. He's saying don't just invite Jesus to be a part of your life. Hand over your life to him. What he's, what he's saying here is look, don't just say a prayer so you can experience the forgiveness of your sins. That's a good thing. But he says say a prayer and then surrender your life so you can experience sanctification. God's power at work within you to make you holy and to give you a profound love for him and for other people. And I think this message that Paul is giving to the church here in Rome almost, almost 2,000 years ago now, I think this message that he gave to that church is a message that, that he might give to the American church today. He might say, look, I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I think this is a message we need to hear because one of the keys to spiritual growth and spiritual vitality isn't adding more stuff to our lives. Instead, it's what Paul talks about here. It is surrender. It's surrender. Surrender. Some of you might know the old church word for this consecration. Anyone in here ever heard that word? Consecration, that's like a big word we don't use a lot anymore in our modern times. Consecration simply means dedicating something, setting it apart, and surrendering it for God's use and for his purposes in the world. And so we talk about things like consecrating buildings. And so this is a consecrated space. When when this building was built, we, we dedicated it. I wasn't here, many of you were. It was dedicated to God for his use, for his purposes, for worship, and for his glory. And what Paul is saying here is that we need to consecrate our lives. We need to say, God, I'm going to set apart my life for you and for your glory. And as we do this, as we surrender our lives and hand them over to him, he begins transforming us by the power of his Holy Spirit from the inside out. But, but this surrender business, this is hard stuff. This is hard stuff because if you're like me, I mean, you know, a lot of times we're kind of scared to give things up. We have things that, that we're comfortable with, old ways of thinking, old ways of living, parts of us that we don't really want to hand over to God because we're ashamed of or we feel guilty about. We have unforgiveness, we have anger, we have resentment, and, and we think, you know what, I, I don't want to give that over to God because really I, I, know, I know what's best for my life. And I'm afraid of what will happen if I really kind of go there and, and hand that to God. But the good news of the gospel is that God created you, he knows you, he loves you, he knows what's best for you. And he wants what's best for you. And when we surrender our lives to him, when we hand them over to him, he's able to enter in and do the work that he wants to do in us 
so that we can be fully used by him. And when we surrender our lives, that's when we begin experiencing the abundant life, life to the full that Jesus talked about. And, and now this idea of surrender and consecration, this isn't something that, that you do one time. This isn't something like, hey, when I was in seventh grade at youth camp in Panama City Beach, you know what, I, I gave my life to Jesus. That's great. And we need to do that. We need to, to receive and believe in Jesus. But this isn't just a one-time decision. This is something we do over and over and over again. This is a daily act to say, God, I surrender my life to you once again for your purposes and for your glory in the world. And I once heard someone say this act of surrender or consecration that one way to think about it is, is, is to think about your life as a house, spiritual house. And what happens when we surrender and we consecrate our lives to God is we invite him in to every part and we hand him the keys to the home. So we hand over the keys to God. And, and I don't know if your house is like mine, but you know how when you have guests sometimes, you like just clean the living room and the kitchen and then you have a, a room where you just like throw all the junk in and you shut the door that you don't allow guests to go in? No, that's just me. I know it's not just me because we also do that here at the church. You know the lobby? We have it looking good. Don't go in this hallway right now. And in here, we try to make it look good. Have y'all ever been in this closet? If you have you know you have to crawl over stuff to get in there and to, to get the tables and the chairs. But that, that's, how, that's how we are in our, in our lives with, with people, our friends and neighbors. And a lot of times that's how we, we are with God too. We say, God, we want you to come in our lives. We want you to come. You can, you can hang out in the living room, but don't go, don't go in that back room. I don't, I don't want you going here. You can have it all. Well, you can't have it all, but you can have most, you can have most of it. But what God wants to do when we surrender our lives is he wants to take us by the hand, room by room. And what he says to us is he says, hey, I want to look in here. I want to open this closet. I want to open this door. And, and, and you know what? We're like, God, no, 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 no. You don't want to go in there. You don't want to go in there. That's, that's old stuff. That's, that's old memories and that's pain from a long time ago, and I, I just, I, 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 I'm, not ready, I'm not ready for that yet. We get scared, we get nervous, we feel ashamed, we, we feel guilt. We say, God, those are secrets I, 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 I don't want. He, he already knows, but we say, God, I don't want to let you in. But what God says to us is he says, look, look, I love you. And I want to come in each and every room and part of your life that I can clean you, so that I can wash you, so that I can redeem you, so that I can restore the broken places in your life. Because what we haven't surrendered can't be used in service to God. But when we're willing to say, God, you can come in, you can, you can go to every place. What happens when we do that is then God's Holy Spirit meets us and we find out that 
that when he sees the mess, when he sees the muck, when he, when he sees the regret and the sin and the shame, that he loves us the same. And he doesn't just, just love us and leave us there. He also says, look, I want to I wanna transform you. I want to redeem you. As you hand over your life, I want to give you in exchange abundant life. The life I have created you to live. We so often settle and we get complacent. But God says there is more. There is more. And so this morning, I wonder if, if you would be brave enough as we close out our time together to say to God, God, all I have is yours. All I am is yours. You can, you can have it all. You can, you can roam free in my life. Here are the keys. And maybe, maybe, you've, never, maybe you've never said that to God and this is like a, a very scary. Maybe God's calling you to do that this morning for the very first time. Maybe you did it at a retreat 20, 50, I looked out, some of y'all 70 years ago, you know? Maybe it was a long time ago. But God is saying once again, once again, would you surrender so that I can meet you and give you life? And so this morning, I want to invite you to, to bow your heads in a posture of prayer. And maybe it's helpful to imagine, imagine Jesus taking you by the hand and leading you to different parts of your life and and maybe even as I was talking this morning there were there were there were rooms there were closets there were people there were possessions there were relationships there were secrets that came to mind even as I was I was talking and you feel you feel afraid to let God in this morning just ask him, say, say, God, would you give me the strength? Would you give me the ability? Would you give me the faith to surrender it all to you? And, and as you're spending time in prayer, if the Holy Spirit is bringing, bringing something to mind or some, some place that you've been afraid to let God in, just, just I invite you to turn that over to him. Hand it over to him this morning. If you've never never surrendered your life to, to Christ, you've never even heard of this, or maybe you've heard of it, but you've always been afraid to do it, but today you feel God moving, moving in your heart, as Paul says, if you, if you confess that Jesus is Lord, believe that he, he saved you, that he lived, died, and rose again, confess that he is Lord, believe in him, and, and now live with him as your Lord. Say, you can have it all. He will meet you. He will forgive you. He will save you. And you can begin this journey of transformation. So I invite you for, for just a few moments to spend time praying and listening to God. And then we'll sing a song of surrender together.
Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Thy love. Take my feet. And let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my King. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I Take my intellect and use every power that you choose. I will.